Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My guest today is a lawyer, though I know her more for her incredible hospitality and creativity than her legal skills. She did start in motorsport as a lawyer, however, working for the Arrows F1 team before joining FOM, Bernie Ecclestone's Formula One management company, to eventually develop and lead the Paddock Club into the VIP hospitality experience as we know it now. That changed in 2021 after successfully seeing Paddock Club through COVID restrictions and its return to full strength. Since then, my guest has championed brilliant ventures, as you'd expect if you know her, not least of which her most recent project, More Than Equal. Not only does she have an incredible reputation within the Formula One paddock, she's also adored by all that have worked with her and alongside her. When I mentioned to a few friends that she was going to be a guest on this podcast, the reactions were unanimous. Wow. My guest today is the Kate Bevan. It's great. Thank you very much. I'm blushing. <laughs> it's hard to hear, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, it's, I didn't have to make one thing up. It's all true. <laughs> No, I'm blushing. It also makes me feel very old. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you entered the sport, what, you were 12? So... <laughs> yeah, it has been a long time and it creeps up on you because I still kind of think of myself as a newbie in Formula One and you have to suddenly remind yourself that you've been here uh, a long time. So, yeah, it, it does. It creeps up on you. Well, you're queuing me up absolutely perfectly because the first question that I always ask is... When and where did your racing life begin? Well, it started completely by accident. Uh, I mean, really, really, like all good things in life, I find, not all, most good things in life happen by accident. I don't know which boxer it, it, it was who said, um, you know, you may have a plan, but it won't survive the first blow. I started, I qualified as a lawyer. I didn't intend to be a lawyer. I requalified after my degree in anthropology. I requalified in law. Because I was a single parent and I needed a, a job, I needed a career. And um, I knew I wasn't clever enough to be an accountant or a doctor. And law was the only profession left. So, uh, so I spent uh, three years retraining to become a, a lawyer. And that's how it all started. I worked for a lovely law firm in Oxford. And my biggest client at the time was Tom Walkinshaw. And uh, I used to specialise in buying and selling car dealerships 
because if anyone remembers, he used to own a, a whole chain of, of luxury car dealerships. And he used to buy and sell those. And that's what I specialised in. That was, um, took almost all my time. And being Scottish, he, he said, you know, he didn't want to pay the law fees anymore, the, the law firm. So I was uh, recruited by him and by the great Alistair Mitchell, who worked with him, uh, to uh, work at, um, at TWR. And a couple of the first jobs I had, one was Gloucester Rugby Club and the other was when Tom bought Arrows. Uh, so that's where it all started, completely by accident. I had no interest in Formula One or motor racing. I'm not a big fan of sport. I don't follow sport. I don't watch sport. Clearly, you look at me and you see I don't do any sport. <laughs> Elite athlete. What are you talking about? Elite. <laughs> but uh, but I fell in love with the f- world of Formula One fairly quickly. And it was the business of Formula One I fell in love with. Um, the business, the culture, the people, the ethos. It was being around so many clever people that you hope a bit of that will brush off. You know, that's what I've always found. That's two put downs now, so I've got to call it out. You weren't clever enough to be an accountant and a doctor, but you were clever enough to be a lawyer, which to me is one of the top jobs you can go for. Like all the friends that I have that are much, much cleverer than me are lawyers. Um, And now you're saying you're hoping clever people can brush up on you. You're one of the cleverest people I know. No, no, seriously, you know it. You know it from working in Formula One. You look at it from the technical side, the business side. People are at the top of their game in Formula One and it's fast moving and it's competitive and but people are generally at the top of their game. And if, you, if you're working in an environment where, where people are at the top of their game, it raises your game a bit. It just does. I mean, I'm just naturally lazy. So uh, if I surround myself with really, really <laughs> clever people who are working really hard, I just have to copy them. <laughs> I know what you mean. You, you naturally pull your socks up, don't you? You do. You, you can't yeah, help you do. it. You do. And it's really good for you because it challenges you to do a bit better. And I think... Um, yeah. Working for two people, one Tom Walkinshaw and the other Bernie Eccleston, the things they taught me, they taught me everything. But what they taught me most was um, to push yourself a bit harder than you think you can go. And I think that's a really Formula One thing, actually. You know, I mean, you know it, even down to, you know, if you think you can't work another race, you can, you do. If you think you can't work another, you know, late night you can and you do. If you think you can't get this across the line in time, you can and you do. And I think that's um, that's that's the kind of culture I really like because it makes me deliver. The work ethic in Formula One is actually pretty incredible. I always say I recognise now that most people's baseline in a normal job, you know, no disrespect to any any level anybody but you can probably work at 80% and do really really well and in formula 1 because everyone's pushing all the time and you're all looking left right and kind of get yourself together to achieve things that shouldn't be achieved really the baseline's 120% you end up operating at 120% all the time which means that if you step out of that for a second everyone's slow yeah you know the real world is slow yeah And, you know, we don't have the monopoly on working hard by any means. I mean, you know, you only have to look at care workers and nurses and and they don't get the money or the credit they deserve. They work incredibly hard and they're just as exhausted at the end of the day. They're just as exhausted at the end of the year. It is as relentless and as stressful. 
you know, and, uh, you know, probably more important outcomes than what we do is what they're doing. Yes. But I think you're right with Formula One. It is being around people who are operating at 110% makes you do that. It forces you into it. You know, you have to perform and you have to deliver. So we've established you weren't a fan of motorsport growing up, but do you have an early memory of it? Is there a moment where prior to starting working in it, you became aware of it? I think I only knew it existed in the background. So, of course, I even remember vaguely as a child, sort of Jackie Stewart. But it was always sort of Sunday afternoon on the television. My father might be watching it, but I I had no interest whatsoever. None. I love that. that. It makes the best people that end up working in motorsport, I feel, because effectively you're entering the sport and you're not impressed. You're approaching it as, what is this? How is it going to work? How can I contribute to it? Some of the people who've, um, who've worked for me in the past will know that when I was, whenever I was recruiting and I was going through an agency, an employment agency or whatever, I would never let them put Formula One in the job description. I never wanted them to put Formula One in there because, um, because I, I didn't want a queue of sort of fans applying yeah. um, because there's a job to do and you can do that job whether you're interested or not. I think after many years in it and reflecting on it, I think some of the some of the people who work in Formula One, you know, who are fans, I think being a fan is a good thing, actually. I think I may have revised my view a little bit on that because it gives you a passion. It gives you a, a passion for yeah. what you're for what you're doing uh, outside of the job itself. So I'm I would I might change that a little bit, but no, myself, I've sort of become a bit interested in what goes on track over the years <laughs> mildly <laughs> a little bit i always approached motorsport i knew i wanted to work in it i liked how it was set up but i wasn't a fan of the racing or all the technical aspect but i loved the people and i loved the the stories that you know goes around you know around drivers around teams and and the drama of it or the the eastenders part of it but I, I I know now, having had more time at home this year to sort of step back and, and look back and appreciate, I, along the way, I definitely became a proper fan and I love tuning in and watching the races, actually. Yeah, I I can't remember the last time I watched a race. I always watch races trackside because it was my job to, but you watch it in the garage with the radio on and with no commentary. And this year where I've had a few where I've been at home and, and all my mates, my other half are still there. They're still racing. So I tune in because I want to know what they're up to. And by the second time I did it, I found myself with two screens, the timing, um, trying to compare different commentary styles by different commentator. I, I got into it. It was incredible. I never knew that was in me. Yeah, well, maybe I'll start getting into it. But when when I was at races, um, and when I do go to races, I rarely, rarely find out who's won or who's qualified because you're running around like a mad thing. And yeah. sometimes it wouldn't be uncommon for me to find out who'd won the race uh, when I got to the airport or even got home. But it's your busiest time. Yeah, and I mean, you were different because you were in a garage with the headphones on, you know, yeah. get you. Uh, but um, but I just tended to be tended to be running around, and the best times for me to have meetings was as soon as qualifying or the race started because you wouldn't be interrupted. Yeah, that's true. Also, get me. I would only know my race. 
I would not know. And obviously the team that I was working for, we, we didn't go on the podium very much. So I would only know where my two finished. I wouldn't, I couldn't even tell you the top three. It's funny, isn't it? Tunnel vision yeah. to be able to do the yeah. work. Do you think you ended up choosing motorsport? Or do you think it chose you? No, it was an accident. Um, I I was a commercial lawyer and I was good at buying and selling businesses and I was particularly good at buying and selling car dealerships. So, um, uh, and that led to Tom Walkinshaw and that led, and he, uh, of course, was big in motorsport. He ended up buying Arrows and that was my intro to it. So I think it definitely chose me. I did not choose it. I like that. I think it's nice. It came knocking and it was like, Kate, we need you. That's it. Now you're in. End of. Talk to me about working with Bernie. You know, you had you had your firm entry and then you very much, the next phase of your career was working for Formula One management. So first for Bernie and then for, for Liberty. What was that like? I loved working for Bernie. Um, I mean, it had its ups and downs and it had its frustrations, but he he was and is one of the most impressive people I've ever worked for. He was always the smartest guy in the room. He had an incredible sense of humour. There was never a day you weren't learning something just by watching him operate. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really grateful for that. I, I wouldn't be the person I am now were it not for uh, being around him for so long. I started off with him uh, in, in a commercial role to look after the intellectual property rights as a lawyer in Formula One, but quickly moved uh, into a more commercial role so into licensing the ip and then a little bit of sponsorship and then some crazy projects uh, that we got up to in our time like trying to race in moscow and you know trying to build theme parks in the middle east all kinds of crazy stuff some of which happened some of which didn't uh, and that eventually led after cvc and bernie had acquired paddy mcnally's business including the paddock club business uh, he asked me to have a look at that business and I fell in love with it. I think the hospitality business I immediately took to. And from then on, I was purely commercial and not legal anymore. So, you know, I've, I've always tried to avoid telling people I'm a lawyer because people have preconceptions about lawyers. For a start, they think you're boring, <laughs> which is kind of true. But uh, they're more wary about speaking to you. So if you go into a, any kind of discussion or you're asking something or a negotiation and you tell them you're a lawyer, you immediately feel uh, the barriers go up. So I always used to avoid telling people that I ever was a lawyer because they, uh, uh, they judge you. Uh, but I loved working on the commercial side, Oz. I loved it. Uh, um, the, the hospitality business is a fantastic business. It's a really good business. Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that because do you know why it was full of people, yeah. guests, guests in hospitality and Formula One who've been invited and they may not be the biggest Formula One fans, but you can see their immediate engagement with our sport when they turn up and you can convert them. I used to say I could convert somebody from knowing nothing and not being a fan of Formula One to being a passionate Formula One fan in four hours in the paddock club. And it was funny. And that's what you see. You see that transformation. Of course, it's great for people who are already fans. They have a whale of a time. But the real joy uh, working with the guests and the guests of the teams is watching people fall in love with your sport over a period of hours. 
I've seen that and it's magic. Yeah, it's so right. Yes. And you know, now you say that with what I know of Paddock Club and the experience that you get, the things that you're able to do, I completely understand because so much of Paddock Club as I know it is what you were able to do. The fact that you had the creativity to put things in place, the fact that you had you were allowed to try things and do things differently and and put things in place now that you say that I can visualize paddock club and understand that that's the experience that you've designed well here's the thing Oz you see you see it goes back to the fact that I'm I'm not a a massive lifelong fan of Formula One so for me it's just about the pure joy of experiencing something new so You know, I'll give you an example. I don't know if any of your guests or you've done it, but um, but the truck tours, they all happened because I saw the driver's parade truck, the truck that the drivers are, are, yeah. are, are driven around the track on before the race and waved to the crowds. I saw it parked in a car park and not used. And I thought, hmm, could I borrow that? So I asked the guys from Biggin Hill, I said, can I just borrow that truck this evening for an hour? And can you drive me around the track in it? And I stood on the back of it uh, and um, and they drove around the track at 25 miles an hour. And for me, who's not a huge fan, I loved it. I looked around. The sun was going down. It was in Bahrain. And I had never seen the track from those angles, from that perspective before. The curbs, the turns, the elevation changes. And once I'd done that, I thought, I'm not a massive fan, but I loved that. Let's do it. And it's now grown into one of the most popular experiences. And we have Sam Power and his expert hosts on there who are brilliant and make it really informative and entertaining. But there is nothing like just pure childlike joy of driving around, standing on the back of a truck. We didn't want luxury buses or anything like that. Stand on the back of a truck and drive around with, with an expert host who knows what they're talking about and soak it all in, look at the views, understand the track and the circuit and it makes you watch the next session, the race or the qualifying. It makes you watch it closer next time because you you can see where those cars are and you were there. You can see that that's steeper than it looks on television. You can see that that curb is really quite vicious on that turn. So it's really educative, but it's underneath it all. It's just a purely joyful experience. The idea of using the same truck as the driver is a masterstroke as well, because as a as a fan, it puts you in the place of the driver. You've seen that yes. truck forever. And that's lovely as well. I mean, the first time we did it, I couldn't persuade 12 guests from the paddock club to give up their champagne. Uh, and, and they were saying to me, you want us to go downstairs and stand on the back of a truck? I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. You'll love it. Uh, mm, OK. We trust you. Uh, but we had 12 people on it. Now there are maybe five trucks doing those tours, yeah. you know, three or four times a day. It's just childlike joy that that live events and especially Formula One can give you. You know it, you know, the sound of the car powering up, being in or near a Formula One garage is something very, very special. You know, the, the paddock being busy with people and media and celebrities it's just an electric atmosphere at a formula one event that i think captures people hugely and all they want to do is know a little bit more about the sport 
and then that's it they're hooked it's full sensory experience as well isn't it it really is like sight sounds i, I mean the, it's slightly different now with the current engines but i remember when there was spare the spare car i once stood in the garage with all three cars being powered up and my body vibrated yeah exactly and that's how things like the hot laps and the and the two-seater formula one program started it's let's get a bit closer let's really feel what this is like that's brilliant i could talk to you about that role forever but you've been really really busy since leaving that role and i really want to talk to you about what you're up to now um you've done quite a few different projects but i think the one that's most relevant to the people that tune into this podcast is more than equal so would you be kind enough to tell us about what you're up to now please oh i would love i could talk about this project all day and i will if you let me um <laughs> So <laughs> I left Formula One after, you know, well over 20 years, more like 25 years last year to set up my own advisory. And I was approached uh, last year uh, by um, David uh, Coulthard and Pavel Turek about a new project that they were putting together with a very successful uh, Czech businessman called Karol Komarek. And that project was uh, more than equal. I was immediately engaged in that immediately. Why? Because its purpose is so very simple. Its purpose is to uh, put a woman on the podium in Formula One and holding the driver's championship trophy uh, and to do that within eight to 10 years. And that clarity of purpose was what immediately attracted me to it. Secondly, it's got good people behind it. David Coulthard, I've known for a long, long time, um, and uh, I rate him as um, uh, as a businessman and and as an all round good guy in Formula One. Carol Komarek is a Czech billionaire who is one of the most prominent, the most prominent businessman in in Czech Republic, uh, who's now acquired the UK lottery rights, and he also has a vision, and he has a vision and a and a purpose driven approach to almost everything he does. That, that's the project. The project is to put a woman on the podium in Formula One. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that first by researching the, the issue, researching the problem. Uh, one thing that becomes very apparent is that I think Formula One is a little bit behind everyone else on uh, female participation in motorsport and in Formula One. You've seen it yourself. Football is making great strides. Rugby, yeah. cricket, all the major sports are making huge strides in female participation in, in their sports. And I think Formula One needs to do something. So the first thing we're going to do is identify, identify what's the problem here. What's the issue? Now, you talk to 10 people, you'll find 10 different opinions on yes. why women are not entering or progressing in Formula One. And... I don't think that we're going to be able to solve this issue on, on opinion. I think we're going to need, we need, and we've decided we need a, an evidence-based approach to this. So we have just launched now, and I'm making a massive plug for this, on uh, morethanequal.com or motorsport.com, we've launched the biggest ever public survey on attitudes to females in motorsport. And we need as many people as possible to go and put their opinions into that survey. It's doing very well already. It's in 15 languages, uh, and it's the biggest survey ever undertaken of this type. Uh, we're also doing some other research. We're doing very in-depth interviews with 
the stakeholders and those who have experience or knowledge of women in motorsport, and that's to give us some deeper insights. Uh, we're doing some desktop research so that everything we know about female participation in motorsport that's ever been researched is put on the table. Uh, and we're going to do a data-driven snapshot of uh, how many participants, uh, female participants in motorsport there are around the world right now, where they are, what age they are. We're going to be able to analyse that, find out why they're dropping out, um, when they're dropping out. So put all of that research together and it's going to give us some, some very good direction. We then want to go and scout for talent, scout for talent globally, go wider, go younger in finding female talent. And once we found female talent, we want to give that talent the same opportunities that traditionally the men and the boys have had. That means, you know, access to uh, commercial opportunities, track time, access to training programs and driver development. We've partnered with Hintza, who are the best in the world at this. Yeah. And I think it's, it's only right that the female talent should have its own bespoke development program as the boys have had you know and we need people like Hintzer uh, who have such experience in this to put together a driver development program that is tailored and bespoke and we can take that female talent and we can drive it up uh, into Formula One by giving it the support it needs so that's our program we're going to research we're going to scout we're going to develop and we're going to push them up to Formula One. Well, it's an incredible project and I love the fact that you're starting with research, which I think you're right, is what's been, it feels like that's what's been missing for quite a long time. And because we all know and we all want, well, you and I do definitely, um, female talent to come through and compete on the grid in Formula One amongst with all the boys that we know and love. It feels like it's opinion driven. I think you nailed it when you described that. And we all wonder what's happening. Why aren't the girls coming through? We know they drop out. Is it because when you get to a teenager, it's not attractive anymore? Is it peer pressure? What's happening? Is it psychological? Is it lack of opportunity? And we're finally going to know. Uh, and I love that. And I love your project. And you know that I'll, I'll help out no matter how I can. It's great. Oz. It might be a combination of all those things. I mean, I, yeah. I doubt I'm not prejudging the outcome of our research, but I doubt very much there's going to be one killer solution on this. We anticipate that there will be a lot of things uh, that need to be adapted or changed or worked on or provided but it's us having a clue as to what those are. It's us being able to direct the efforts based on fact and not based on, on opinion. And I think if there's one thing I know, I think the timing is right on this. I think there is a, I get a huge engagement and positive feeling about this project, both within and outside of, of Formula One. And I love the fact we talked about it before. Formula One is, is a sport like no other in terms of the, quality of problem solving brains there are yes. formula one is really good at solving problems if it puts its mind to it and to be honest i just don't think that there has been a concentrated effort on this on a on an evidence basis in order to to make effective change but formula one can do it it's full of the smartest people in the world 
He just gave me butterflies. If there's one thing I love is the power of F1. I, we saw it during COVID, you know, with pit lane project, and we see it with so many of the technical endeavors that the teams have on the side where they actually help out other companies and help sort of like, you know, you see it with, um, there's been incredible racing bikes that have been developed um, through McLaren because of their side things. Williams yeah. have worked on stuff for buses. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so to know that, you know, we've got that coming to try and, uh, get more girls into motorsport it makes me really excited but not only get more girls into motorsport of course we have to do that because if you look at the numbers this is a numbers game as much as anything yeah. else there just aren't enough girls entering and so the pool you're drawing talent from is is much smaller but how do you tackle that uh, from our point of view you tackle that you know by putting a woman on the podium in formula one because that's the role model and by doing that you've created the pathway so you put you put one woman on the podium in Formula One and you've and you've carved a path for hundreds of others. And I think that's yeah. what needs doing. Um, the power of Formula One is undisputable. And I don't think I think sometimes even Formula One doesn't realize what power and influence it has. Imagine, imagine in 10 years, you know, Formula One will be the only global sport on the planet that's genuinely gender blind. So the size of the prize at the end of this project is huge. That's a hell of a headline you've just given there. That's incredible. Let's make it happen. Yes, it will happen. <laughs> this is what I love. It's your drive. It's it's one of the things you're known for. It's It will happen. It will happen. And I believe it will happen because you're involved. That's mm. basically it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, um, that's Formula One. That's the culture we're in. And, I, and, yeah. it, and it's very motivating. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
let's go back to Formula One actually from your perspective because this this is supposed to be about you this podcast I know it's not natural but it is um we've talked about what you love most about the sport I think I know what you're less keen on which is effectively what you're trying to fix right now but what I want to talk about what you've seen as your success how do you define success for yourself within this realm especially now within you know, you, you've you had a previous role that you did, for, you know, you worked within an organization for a really long time. You've left it now. You're working for yourself. I often describe that as feeling like the handbrake is off because you're not focused on one thing anymore. You have access to everything. You are clearly deeply involved in more than equal. And I'm sure that's taken up a lot of your time. So what is now, what's the landscape looking like now for you? What's your, are you involved in more than one project? Is it the juggling of it all that's exciting? What What is it like for you now? At any one time, I've got three, four or five clients or projects on. Um, I'm working, uh, just successfully taken Bonhams, the global auctioneer, and a lot of your listeners will know Bonhams if they are into um, uh, collecting cars. Taking uh, Bonhams into um, into Formula One uh, with the Paddock Club, so that we will do uh, put auctions on the grid at Formula One races. There is nothing like it. That is that is just pure magic. Uh, now, uh, Formula One, we I did I did that uh, in 2019. Yeah, a couple of times we did that, and it worked. You know, Formula One fans love cars, and car collectors love Formula One, but. A live auction is just full of excitement and jeopardy and uh, and thrills. And to have $30 million worth of supercars and old Formula One cars on the grid under lights being auctioned live is super exciting. That's another passion project. Um, I only have one rule, and that's work on projects and with people people I like. And I love that that deal. I think it brings some magic to the events. So watch this space on that one. <laughs> um, I've worked with some sponsors, uh, bringing them into uh, Formula One, Bonhams. Um, uh, there was uh, Velas into Ferrari. I'm interested in, in anyone who wants to maximize their investment in Formula One or who don't know how to get into Formula One and need help navigating it. So uh, those are the kind of projects I'm I'm looking at at the moment. I'm the deputy chair of something called the Sport Integrity Global Alliance, uh, which, again, is something I feel very, very strongly about. This crosses all sports and uh, it's trying to set some basic standards for integrity across all sports, because there are issues in integrity in sport, in corruption, even issues in, on integrity such as diversity and inclusion and sustainability sport needs some some basic protections and standards on those issues and i feel strongly about that because i know how powerful sport is in people's lives and we need to protect its reputation fiercely yeah. uh, so i'm i'm working on that as well so lots of different things oz yeah and given all of that actually i feel the need to ask you how do you balance your work with the rest of your life that's a lot easier now than it used to be, I can tell yeah. you, because I'm now in charge of my own time and my own destiny much more. Yeah. So um, I generally I'm working from home. I've got a lovely office. Uh, we bought a house last year, coinciding with the time I left Formula One, and we've been renovating that, which actually has been a real pleasure and a joy to be able to have the time to be able to do that. 
Um, so I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing that. And that's definitely not work. And you might find me renovating an antique chair or polishing some wood. It's a really nice way of not thinking too much about work. That's how I do, um, you know, work-life balance at the moment is by working from home, having a garden. I have my father living with me uh, since last year as well. Um, he's 94 uh, and going strong, but he, he does he does need more support now. So we moved him in to, to live with us. Uh, and I acquired two cats who I absolutely adore and I could waste an entire day playing with. That's, so that basically, that's how I keep my work-life balance now, Oz. That's brilliant. And actually, it feels like the moment you stepped out of F1, you brought your life together physically so that it's all there around you. That's lovely. Yeah, I mean, I yes, exactly. I don't want to get too personal about it, but <laughs> if I'd been working um flat out and full time at formula 1 I, I you know it would have been very difficult to you know move house and to buy a house and renovate a house and have my father living with me yeah it just wouldn't have really been been possible i'm very grateful for that very grateful indeed that i i'm able to balance the time now to do all of those things including playing with my cats well the cats would definitely be cranky with you if you're away all the time that's, that's 100% <laughs> Um, what would you say is your proudest moment so far in your career? Oh, that's really tough. Is that because there's so many? No, I don't know. I, I don't know about pride. I think standing on the grid in Abu Dhabi under lights, watching the car auction, that was yeah. magic to me. It was just such a beautiful event to do. But there are just so many of these moments standing on the back of the flat trucks when guests are having a fabulous time i've had the founder and owner of a multi-billion dollar very well-known tech company who's been on that truck tour in the paddock club for the weekend with his father and who's come away and said to me that's the best weekend of my life oh and wow. you kind of go you're a billionaire you've done everything you can do everything you can buy everything uh and 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 you know, that's a sense of satisfaction, isn't it? That's a real yeah. sense of satisfaction. I think every time I was standing in and around the paddock club or on the grid for the hot laps and seeing people, the pleasure on people's faces, the engagement, the joy of introducing them to our sport, I think that was almost every week for me. And then to balance it out, would you have a lowest point? Yeah, I think the lowest point was when Arrows went bust, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, was that was actually quite a tough time. Um, so Arrows, Arrows folding and then TWR folding, <clears throat> that had been my introduction to Formula One. It had been my life for five years. And anyone who was there at the time will remember it and know it. It's, it's not fun. It's not fun. At the back of the grid and going bust is not a great position to be in. I sat at home for a month or so and nursed my wounds before getting a call from Bernie and he said come and work for me and I said to him I said I've had enough of Formula One this was in 2003 oh, I said yeah. I'm done with it I've had enough uh I don't, I don't want anything more to do with it and I don't know whether I think he thought that was a challenge uh because he wouldn't let it go then he said well just come down for coffee come and see me for coffee and you know the thing about Bernie it's very difficult to say no to him 
he's he's an incredible charmer. So I went down for coffee with him, and uh, you know he had to do a real sales pitch um, to get me to come and work for him. Which, looking back, is madness. I should have bitten his hand off. I genuinely was very low then about Formula One, and and having had that experience of arrows going bust, I, I, it wasn't a fun time. But um, he, you know, he persuaded me to come and work for him, and and that's when it all started looking up again. I think, you know, resilience is something that Formula One teaches you, doesn't it? And it's something that I've had to learn um, a lot in my life is is to be resilient. It's it's not about being knocked down. You are going to get knocked down uh, in your personal life and in your work life. You are going to get punched. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get sidelined. You're going to fall over and you're going to trip. Those are all going to happen. Um, it's not that that makes you. It's It's just getting up again and carrying on and putting one foot in front of the other every single day and you are likely to walk further than others if you do that. That is sound advice. And actually, the next thing I wanted to ask you is if someone wanted to work in motorsport in your line of work, what advice would you give them? I would say if you really want to work in Formula One, you will uh, in motorsport or Formula One, you will find a way. Uh, firstly, yeah. there are opportunities out there. If it means you have to take a sidewards um, step in your career, if it means you have to take a pay cut, if you can do that, do it. Because... Oz, you'll know this. It, Formula One is quite a, a small family, really. And it's um, on, on the track, off the track, in the factories. Uh, people tend to know each other, uh, get to know each other. Once you get your foot in the door, you will, uh, you know, you'll get a name for yourself. You'll get known and you'll, <clears throat> and you'll progress. So the most important thing is to get the foot in the door. Do not worry about salaries and job titles and having a plan for your career and how you've mapped it out just get your foot in the door and get in there at whatever level you can um, and make your mark and you will get spotted and you will develop and and that's how it will all start for you yeah you're spot on it is a family and as long as you become known for hard work being nice to work with there's literally no reason why you shouldn't do well no, exactly. And there are opportunities. There are jobs out there all the time. I mean, finding finding good people is really difficult. Most people are yeah. always, most um, organisations in Formula One are always on the lookout for good people. The important thing is 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 to get in there and don't worry about um, about where you are in, in the pecking order, about what the salary is, about what your job title is. Just get your foot in the door. And get going. Start the journey. It, yeah. And it is a journey massively. I love the fact that um, since leaving the team, I've set up on my own. So same as you. And the only way for me to get work is to activate my network and to actually finally accept that I have a network um, that people like to work with me, question mark. And <laughs> um, and but it's been a massive not an ego boost because I don't think it's about ego, but it's been a massive reassurance that oh, okay, no, I, I have been here for a while and I do have lots of friends and and actually I've been able to do very similar to you to ask that I only work with people I like on projects that I believe in and genuinely, hand on heart, I've been able to do that and that's a massive lesson. It's such a gentle hug to, to know that that's possible. Yeah, because there are a lot of good people working in Formula One and yeah. We've talked about this before, but one of the joys of, of our, your position and my position is that we get to talk to 
people now. We've both built up networks. And that sounds very sort of LinkedIn-y. Actually, it's yeah. not. It's, it's, no, it's a lot of people you've, you've worked with over the years who you rate and who you like. And, um, and you know, we've now got time. I've got time to talk to people in a way that I just didn't have time before. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really, I'm really delighted to be able to do that. And, and I'm, I'm really happy with the network of people I've made in Formula One because I, I rate them all. And I like them all. And actually, has, has any of them given you advice that you still use to this day? I think anyone who knows me probably knows that I'm not that good at taking advice. Um, but uh, no, I think the person who's taught me most, I'll go back to it. The person who's taught me most, uh, and, and it, that would make sense because I worked with him for the longest, was was, was Bernie. And, and it wasn't advice he gave me. It, it was just an ethos of, However well you've done, you can do better. However much work you've done, you can do more. And I think that was the most valuable lesson I, I've learned over the last 20 years. You think you've gone so far, but you can go further. You think you've done well, you can do a, do better. That's a massive drive, isn't it? Yeah, because when, when they are proved right, when Bernie's proved right, I would go with him with a deal and say... Um, Look, I've I've worked I've worked for months on this. I've really pushed them. This is the best deal we're going to get, and uh, you know, and he would look at it and squint and and look up up at me, and he would get his pen out and he'd say, "No, let's double that." I go, "Well, they won't do it. It won't happen. It you know we can't get that." And he go, "Well, yeah, I'm sure you can." And then you would go away and you had that impetus and you knew it wasn't going to happen unless you pushed and it did happen and you would feel great then. And you'd go, my God, how can he know me better than I do? That's massive belief in somebody, isn't it? He really believed in what you could do. That's a hell of a validation. Yeah, but it, it, but when you do it then, you, you validated yeah. yourself and you go, do you know what? I can do better. I, you can push harder than you think. It's nice to hear those stories, actually. It's really lovely. Um I want to ask you completely side, this is completely off topic, but I'm really curious. You've got a brilliant approach to social media. I look, obviously, within within the people that know you, your selfie style is infamous. <laughs> um, I love your captions as well. You've got a very dry sense of humour, which I absolutely relate to and love. Uh, I just wanted to know what, how do you view that space? Because I know for a long time when you work within Formula One, actually kind of sort of posting on social media, one, you don't have the time and two, it doesn't always feel comfortable. Um, and so especially within the last year where maybe there's a barrier that's been lifted and you can use it without having to think you know, twice about it. And also it's, it's sort of like general point of view within within the sport. I just wanted your take on social media, please. I'm a bit rubbish at it, to be honest, technically. I mean, I, I see it, um, it, social, it just makes me laugh. So I, I do my social media just for fun, just yeah. just because I think, you know, everyone is scrolling along their phone when you're standing waiting for your bags at the airport or, or you know, when you wake up or go to bed at night. And it should be, you know, it should be something that, that just makes you laugh or makes you smile or gives you a bit of, bit of pleasure, a bit of joy. Um, less of the sort of boring showing off where you've been because you run out of road on that very quickly in Formula One. I mean, you know, how many pictures of you in the paddock on the grid, you know, at this race can you take without repeating yourself every year? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, 
there's only so much of that you can do before it gets boring. Uh, but I just see it as I just see it as 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 fun as one of those touch points in life that are just just a, just joyful and funny and amusing and make you smile. Um, that's nowhere near where social media is generally. Social media is massive and powerful for brands and for teams and for drivers. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I just do it for fun. I just do it for fun. And the funny selfie, you know how that happened? That happened because in Austin, in I think it was 2018, might have been, I had two guests, one of which was a guy called Ben Robson, who's an actor who was in Vikings and what have you. And he is massive. I mean, he is huge. <laughs> and I, I took him onto the grid, and he's a huge Formula One fan. I took him onto the grid. And, you know, you're snapping photos quite quickly because you're getting pushed around and it's busy on there. But I took a quick photo of he and I. And in order to get his head in, because he was about seven foot tall, I needed to tilt the camera up. And I just took a load of photos. And the one that came out funny was with, with, with only the top of my head showing. <laughs> so that's the one I posted. And that's where it all started with the tagline, shit, he's big. Um <laughs> But then the same thing happened, funnily enough, with a guy called Mike Krieger, who was the chief technical officer and one of the founders of Instagram, who was a guest in Austin at the same race. And funnily enough, the same thing happened. We were in the paddock and I was taking a photograph with him. And again, he's quite tall. And um, uh, and, uh, and in, in getting his head in, I cut half of mine off. And those are usually the photos that you would delete but it just became funny uh, that at this I was with all these tall people, and um, and that's how it all started. Uh, so it was very funny being able to post a selfie with Mike Krieger, and you know, under the strap line, it's all his fault. <laughs> he invented them. <laughs> well, it makes me smile, my biggest smile. So thank you very much for carrying on. It's literally one of my favourite things on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Plug, plug for my Instagram. I might get two new followers now. Great. Absolutely. I'll make sure they're in the show notes. You bet. I'm putting the link in. <laughs> um, I can't believe this, but I've actually come to my last question, which um, I can't wait to hear your answer. Um, and that's what are you looking forward to? Oh, everything. Absolutely everything. I'm itching to go this year. I think it's going to be, I always say this, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a fantastic year. Uh, I am... I'm really looking forward to getting our Bonhams auctions on the track and running because they will be pure magic. I'm really looking forward to uh, more than equal because this will be a big year for us. Yeah. F1 is going to start its new academy, the, the female academy, which I think is going to be really interesting. Uh, this, you know, they're approaching it brilliantly, putting on another racing opportunity um, for female talent. They're recruiting younger. I think, and a bit earlier. So that's all good. So we're hoping to work with them on developing that talent. Um, so I think this year is going to be super exciting. Don't ask me about what goes on on the track, um, whether it's the you know red cars or the silver cars or the blue cars, you know, whatever. They'll do what they do and they'll do it very well. But uh, it's what's going on in the paddock, I think, that's going to be the most interesting. I completely agree. I'm the, I'm the same. I can't wait to see how this year's going to turn out. And we've got Vegas coming. I mean, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be probably the biggest event that Formula One's ever put on. It's going to be huge. 
is going to be huge. I can't wait to see how Miami does in the second year as well. I always think first year is an incredible challenge and, you know, it's amazing to see what's achieved every time. But second year is where you're like, okay, you've had a year now. What are you going to do? I can't wait for that as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, and we always had those issues with new races. You look at, um, you know, Mexico. Mexico just seems to have got better. So that's a good example of a race that just keeps improving. Yeah, absolutely. So much to look forward to. And as we've said, more time to talk to people. I'm so excited about that this year. Yeah, me too. I, I, absolutely right. I'm I'm just, do you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm bunking off half the time that I, I sit there and, 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 you know, chat with all of the people I've known over the years and I've had regular contact with, but never had the time or haven't had less time to just sit down and shoot the breeze and, you know, it's where some good ideas come about, by the way, is just by chatting with people. That's exactly what I was about to say. And and also, having listened to you and asked you lots of questions for the last hour, you are not, not busy. You're not skiving. So I think you just, you're just using your time in a brilliant way. And I, I, I admire you hugely, by the way. So I can't wait to see what your year's going to turn out. Oh, well. thank you. You're making me blush again. Stop it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to end it there, Kate. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Oz. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Oz. That was the amazing Kate Bevan, everyone. And I'm sure you've worked out by now, I am such a fan of hers. I love her passion, her drive to get things done and her vision. She's achieved so much and is bringing so much more to motorsport. I can't wait to see how this year turns out for her. Kate mentioned the More Than Equal survey. Uh, Please take part if you can. You can find it at motorsport.com or on the More Than Equal website. It takes 10 minutes and it's going to have an impact on motorsport. I'd like to thank the producer of this show, Press Play Productions. The awesome Tabatha is the one who turns our brilliant chats into the very nicely edited podcast you get to listen to each week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favourite podcast platform. Leave a review if you can. Tell your friends. Post about it on social media. It all means so much. It really helps new people find our little podcasts. So thank you. You can also get in touch directly if you'd like via my Instagram account, which is Pandia. That's P-A-N-D-E-A. And there's also a link in the show notes via which you can support the podcast directly should you wish to. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program.